Welcome to Humans and Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 84 with Tiago Chan. Tiago Chan is a former pro Magic player from Portugal and former writer slash columnist for Magic. He's written for a number of sites, including Star City Games, MTG Mincard, and MTG Madness. Tiago also has two pro tour top eights, one Nationals for his home country, and won the last Magic Invitational, where he created and designed a card known as Snapcaster Mage. It's really interesting speaking to Tiago in 2021. I moved to Shanghai about two years ago, and I found out that Tiago is actually living in the same city as I am. It took a while, took a lot of convincing, to be honest, talking to Tiago through some mutual friends, connecting with him. See, Tiago hasn't really played or even thought about magic for a number of years. That's why I'm saying it's really interesting to talk to him in 2021. Now that there's a lot of time that's passed between his pro career as a magic player and his career slash life in China, it's really interesting. So Tiago's a very deliberate person. He's very deliberate and reserved. And you'll definitely hear this in the interview because it's almost like when we're talking, he's just uncovering some of his thoughts, discovering some things that he had not remembered in a while, and doing it all in real time. So I wanted to make sure that we really bring out the person that is Tiago, and I kept most of the conversation unedited just to really give you a sense. It's also really cool that so much time has passed between his creating Snapcaster Mage and Life After Magic, and so we talk a lot about what it means to go back in time and think about these things. Because as you probably know, time provides a lot of perspective. Very interesting conversation. And I don't usually do intros this long, but I wanted to put this out there because if you take the time and you're patient and you listen through and really absorb the interview, I think you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it a lot. This is among one of the favorite ones that I've done so far. And before diving into the interview, just want to give a few shout outs. First of all, the music, the amazing music you hear in this episode, as always, is provided by Kupla. That's K-U-P-L-A. Please give him a follow on Twitter at Kupla Sound, one word. And you can find all of his music on all of the places you listen to music. Secondly, I want to plug the new project or new website that I've been working on for most of this year. It's called CardSage, and you can find it at CardSage.io. CardSage is the ultimate pricing aggregator for Magic the Gathering singles. It puts all the prices of Magic cards from all these different sources on the internet and presents it in one easy-to-use view. It's also got a lot of other cool features for retailers, so whether you're on Crystal Commerce or Binder POS or any one of these inventory systems, we have some excellent integrations provided directly within CardSage. To find out a little bit more, please go to cardsage.io and sign up for the trial. Or you can also follow us on Twitter at card underscore sage underscore CCG. That's card underscore sage underscore CCG. And last but not least, you can find all the previous Humans and Magic episodes on humansandmagic.com. All right, intro over. Let's get into it. This is Humans and Magic with Tiago Chan.
Tiago. How are you doing today? Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have the the day off to choose the uh, day which work was not uh, so intense to have the time to be here with you. I'm happy that uh, I got the chance to be invited for your podcast. I I I, I read uh, some of the things that you do. We have some friends in common, and it's it's good to be. Uh, have the chance to sit down with you and uh, we all get to talk and get to know more about each other. It's very unusual. Usually I do the podcast with people who are not in the same city as me, but in this case, we're, I mean, we're doing this re remotely, but both of us are in Shanghai. So it's like, usually I talk about the weather or how things are over there. But in this case, I know because I'm in the same city. I know it's a rainy day. I know you're taking time out of your schedule to do this. And I really, really appreciate it. So how are things in general with, you know, life and work and, and everything? Yeah, uh, let me just correct then. Um, when I say I'm, I'm happy to, to be here with you and get to know you, it's uh, right what, what you said. Uh, not only I'm happy to to be on your podcast, but also that we had the chance to to finally meet. I've heard uh, through some mutual friends that you were in Shanghai, and uh, as you know, but uh, probably not all our, our audience, Shanghai is a very vibrant, very intense city. Most of us come here professionally, and that's the case for me. After I finished. Uh, playing magic professionally. I came to China to study Chinese language and culture. And eventually I got back because I have a good work opportunity. Right now I work at the consulate of Portugal. I'm in charge of consular affairs, consular protection for Portuguese citizens, some other administrative work. It's uh, interesting and challenging, and uh, I've been here for five years. And from our previous talks, you have not really touched magic so much in the last five years, right? For various reasons. Yes, the, the main reason is that work uh, is taking most of my time and uh, focus. Just like uh, when I was playing magic, I like to focus on things and I'm not very good at focusing or giving my best to multiple uh, things at the same time. So would you say that right now your focus is primarily on your career or something like that? Yes, yes. My focus right now is on my work, my career. It was also not a 100% choice made by myself, but my work sometimes really demands that I give all my attention to it. Right on. So you have been in China for the past five years, but before that, you have studied in China, you have visited China as well, correct? Yes. When I first came to China, right after I finished playing Magic, I came directly to China from a pro tour. I booked the flights uh, 
Lisbon to Kuala Lumpur and Kuala Lumpur to China instead of going back to, to Portugal. Uh, I came to study Chinese and uh, my uh, school was starting the week after the project. At that time, I thought I could still continue playing a little, but it wasn't easy. Uh, well, uh, most of the cards uh, were in, uh, in Chinese and most of the players, they communicated in Chinese. And at that time, my Chinese was not very good. Even right now, well, it's a difficult language. And magic has very specific uh, terms and uh, expressions. Some the keywords, the keywords there are not very common words you use every day. Also, uh, internet uh, here is not as uh, stable and uh, fast as the as it was in Portugal and as I was used to. So it started getting frustrating playing online. So I gradually started playing less and less. And uh, by consequence, also following, following less what was happening, the changes to the, to the game itself, to, to the mechanics, to the cards, to the competition. And uh, uh, on the other side, I started uh, giving more attention to the classes and learning the country. Like I said, focusing on what you're doing right now. Yeah, I can relate to that a bit. When I first moved to China from Canada, I, I didn't touch magic for the first year, two years. I just felt like there was so much to learn about the country and the culture. And I was just getting used to life here. So it's just... For me, at least, it was just such a culture shock going from Western country to China, mainland China. Mm -hmm. And even though, I mean, at the time it was Beijing. So I would say Beijing and Shanghai are the most developed cities in China. So sometimes you don't even feel like you're in China, especially in Shanghai, where it's very, uh, as you know, very international and foreigner friendly. But exactly. it's still China. So the first year or two, I didn't really touch magic cards. And... I remember it was, I think it was just a local friend who got me back into magic because I had found out about this. I think he found out I was, I was in a, I was in a forum and I realized that he was in China, he was in Beijing and I was in Beijing. So that's when I got back. But the, the first one or two years, I really didn't have any motivation or inclination to, to play magic. It wasn't even like, internet issue or language issue on the cards i just didn't it just it just temporarily left my world i guess it just says something about me maybe that i just was never that hardcore into magic which is ironic because now i play more magic than i did back then but it, it it's interesting because hearing about your experience like you have played in the highest level of competition you said you flew from lisbon to to China. So wasn't magic just such a big part of your life? I could imagine that when you were very involved with magic, it was it's it was probably a very intense association. Would you say that's true? 
association with, with with the game like uh, it, i i would imagine for someone like you who's competed at the highest levels it would be really hard to i don't know if it's the right term to walk away from the game or to suspend playing the game it, it must have been such a part of your life when you were really into it mm-hmm. uh, i i agree with everything that you said that's why that's why in the beginning I said, yeah, it feels like uh, we're, we're having a, a life conversation here because you, you understand me. You, you understand what I've been through. I, I, also, I also lived in Beijing, in Shanghai, how, how things can be so, so different that some parts of your life, it's like they are temporarily suspended. Only in my case, they are still suspended i played i played uh, for some months when i had uh, work breaks when i went to portugal uh, in there was one time where i made a small a small taste of competitive magic where i played some ptqs i top eighted the wm world magic championship qualifier i think that was the name which i was actually motivated to it because it was something new. I still top 16 some some GPs at that time, but then I come I come back to China again for working and it's suspended once again. But I, I still enjoyed it in a smaller proportion. It's actually very similar. I, I, I think uh, like even when I was living in China, I would play magic when I was traveling. Right. So when I was in the United States, I would play magic again. I come back to China and I would not play magic. So sorry to interrupt you, but I, I feel there's a kind of a, a common thing there. So yeah, maybe that's the that, that's for, for all of us. It, it's about the surroundings too. When I when I go back home, many of my friends, many of my friends they are still active magic players. So if I hang out with them, if I go for dinner, if, if I meet with them, it's normal that they talk about magic, that they have their decks with them. Well, here in China, I was surrounded by my classmates or right now by my peers, by my colleagues, and we have nothing to talk about, 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 uh, about magic. Well, sometimes about uh, board games a little, cause... but uh, here in China, in, here in Shanghai, I know they, they have like a, a small, a small uh, expat community. They get the cards in English. They try to draft every week. I joined some of their drafts. It's okay to to. It's okay. <laughs> and that's how you met our mutual friend, Arthur, right? Somehow through this community, expats community. Yes, yes. Uh, I met Arthur and, and many others. Although I haven't played, I haven't played much magic with Arthur. I talked a lot uh, with Arthur, but I haven't played much magic with him. So there's a, there's a very common joke that i have with arthur right and you may know of this too because arthur is such a big 
proponent and supporter of Commander or EDH. And as a spike, I absolutely, absolutely hate EDH. Like, I tried playing Commander with them, and it was just not my thing. And I, I, I'm wondering if like they try to get you into EDH in some shape or form because that's Arthur is like the biggest uh, EDH fan. That's why I'm asking. I haven't uh, played uh, EDH that much. It's a, uh, it's it's a different it's a different uh, kind of uh, magic. I read an article uh, recently. When I say recently, it was anywhere in the last two years, which was written. I only read it because uh, it was written by uh, one of my good friends in Portugal. And I saw it on, uh, on my moments. It was uh, about uh, EDH. He's, uh, he's uh, currently pro magic player, I think. Anywhere in the last three or four years, he got to the finals of a pro tour. What's uh, his name? It's Gonzalo Pinto from Portugal. I think he reached the finals of some pro tour. He played in the top four against our other friend, also from Portugal, and uh, Marcio, and Gonzalo advanced to the finals. But, okay, he wrote, he writes this article about EDH, which I think it was a really fantastic article to get someone to start into EDH. In the beginning, he described EDH as a, a board game played with uh, played with magic cards. The purpose is to build up and interact with other players using the cards of the game we all love. So it's a different way of playing, enjoying, and interacting with other persons, just like Booster Draft, Rochester Draft, uh, Team Limited. We, for drafts, you need eight. For Team Limited, you need six. Three are on your side. So for EDH, can be also one-on-one -on -one with a table of four. So while it might not be for everyone, but Wizards of the Coast went with it, they didn't try to, to fight it. And I think it's very important to, to see and understand the natural flow of things. When you understand the, the flow of things and you go with it, it just becomes more natural rather than trying to oppose it and say, no, this is not the magic we... we uh, this is not the magic the, as we see it, as we design. We don't do magic to be played like this, but rather understand that players want to play magic like that and yeah, just also create the space where the players can enjoy it like they want. And Arthur and uh, many others all over the world, I think the numbers... And I, I, I would like, I would like to, to try... Um, no, not to try. I would like to enjoy playing EDH uh, sometimes uh, in the mood. If if I'm with some of some friends who like it, yeah, it, I can I can enjoy it, but not if I'm looking for another kind of experience. That's a great observation because uh, that's why I said that between Arthur and me, we're kind of joking 
it's a joke for me to tell him that I hate EDH and it's a joke also for him to say I love EDH. I mean, both of them are kind of true, but I, I, I like your observation because magic really is a, a rule set or a framework that people can enjoy on many different levels, right? Or different ways. So uh, I, I think it's, yeah, I think that's why I said I was joking because, it, you know, it might not be something that I particularly enjoy most of the time, but I can understand that for other people, it's a very fun board game or way to express yourself using magic cards. And I think your friend's article is uh, a really good description because it really is a board game with, uh, with magic card as pieces, right? So I really can't argue with the fact that it's probably the most popular format in magic now. It, not probably, it is the most popular format in magic. So there's definitely something there, right? So there is a card that you're very well known for. And it's probably being played a lot in EDH as well, if I have to imagine. Uh, Snapcaster Mage, right? The, but only the, one copy of it. And only one copy of it. But I guess in EDH, you can find ways to search for it, buy it back. Uh, you can play Unearth or some other cards like that. So it's it's not a huge problem. But my question is, your name, Tiago Chan, is, I have to say, it's going to be forever linked with this card because you designed it and it's associated with you. And it's an iconic card. It's an iconic magic card that is very powerful. How do you feel about your association with this card now, today, in 2021? And how might it be different from how you felt initially, maybe 10 years ago or whenever the card was released? The card was uh, released uh, later than it was supposed to be. In previous invitationals, uh, the, the designed card was released the year after. But in my case, in Snapcaster Mage, it was released, I think, uh, four years after I won the Invitational. Uh, the last Invitational that I won was in 2007. Uh, my last Pro Tour was uh, Kuala Lumpur. I flew to China right after it. It was beginning of 2008. And Snapcaster Mage was released in Innistrad, which I think was around 2010-11. So there was a gap of uh, some years, which I had already retired from professional magic. Not only retired from professional magic, I completely disappeared from the, well, from the world, which was not a, a, a school and, and uh, being in China. The reason, why the, the card was delayed is that initially after I won, uh, the card that I submitted was uh, a land that can be used as a counter spell, which didn't go well with the Zendikar team of Landfall. Zendikar encouraged you to play all your lands for Landfall. 
like the links and the plated uh, geopede to get the bonus. So it really went against the set, like having a land in your hand that acts as a counter spell. So we tried many ways to to make uh, uh, the cards work. Then the, they asked before other submissions. And as I was uh, getting gradually more distant from magic, my uh, change of emails with the uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, RDND also started to get slower. At some point, they just released the set Zendikar, so they just focused on going forward until finally we all got into the communications and said, okay, let's get this done. And at the, uh, when Stepcaster was released, I didn't really realize what it meant. And I was not playing actively to in, enjoy, to understand. So like many, many things, the further it goes, the more distant you are to it, the better you understand it. Just like uh, history, some events that happen in, uh, in society, when they happen, you don't really understand them or you cannot really analyze them. But time, after, uh, after some time, when you look at it from a distant perspective, you can better understand the, the, the whole picture, the whole context in which it happened and how it will impact in the future, what, what, uh, what lesson, what, what will remain, what impact. And I guess it was the same with the Snapcaster, uh, Snapcaster Mage because many things about uh, magic, about my past, uh, even I start to remember them less, but Snapcaster will always uh, remind me of, uh, of my time in magic. And uh, it, it's good. It's good that it's so that it's so popular card. Even if people at some point will, uh, not everyone will uh, associate the name, my name, with it. But uh, as long as everyone is playing with it, I still, uh, I still feel like I, I did something and I'm a, a part of it. So you're happy to be associated with the card, especially now given a bit of time and historical perspective. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, of course, of course. I'm, I'm very happy to be associated uh, with, with, with magic, with magic being a part uh, of magic. I'm, I'm a little sad that I didn't get to play so much with it, but, but uh, at least at least other players are, including in EDH. I I know it's uh, it's a powerful card in modern too. Yes, it's scary just thinking about 
how many times the card must have been cast over the course of the last 10 years. I mean, I, I don't know how to put a number on it, but it's so ubiquitous now in the world of Magic the Gathering. So, uh, you know, because not all invitational cards are are like that, right? I remember when we talked earlier, you were saying like, not every... This is not. This is the last invitational card. It was the last invitational, but also it ended up being objectively one of the best invitational cards, right? Me and uh, most of the uh, other invitational players uh, we talked to, we uh, most of our submissions we submitted cards that we would like to to play with, cards that we would um, enjoy playing with or kind of uh, represented what we like to to play uh, in Magic. It's not like we were trying to submit cards that everyone will have to play four of these. No, otherwise we would just submit like one colorless mana, uh, three damage, any target. So like a colorless lightning bolt, for example. And then everyone has to play for everyone is playing for of it. No, we played card. We, we designed cards. At least I designed the card that I would enjoy playing with. And I remember when I submitted, it was like a counter spell that could also be a land, just to for deck building purposes and for gameplay situations. Just try to reduce the mana screw or mana flood. So these cards were sort of like somehow fitting in with the player's personality or the way they prefer to play magic or maybe the way that they believe that these cards could somehow make the some contribution to the game make the game better in the case of the the initial proposal like to reduce variance right so uh so you're a blue mage right that 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 would suggest because it evolved and it later on became a creature as you said but it, it still has some of your personality or preference in it, no? Well, I hate I hate playing with, with creatures. And uh, Wizards just keeps making creatures better and better. Back then, you could play with no creatures. You could play with one creature as your winning condition. Some of my favorite decks had zero creatures on it. Uh, even even in limited, I usually draft less creatures than than average. If we're making a friendly draft, usually uh, I try to intentionally draft the least uh, amount possible of creatures. A spell does exactly what you do, what you want. The moment you cast it, you cast that spell because you wanted that effect at that time. A creature cannot guarantee it will get the job done, whatever it is, either blocking or attacking. Or, but for, for for making magic better, for trying to do with the cards uh, to make it to make it more simple, it's just cards that we would enjoy playing with or casting. I don't think me or uh, the other professional uh, magic players we could uh, do uh, or help improve magic. I think the R and D team they are the ones who 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 do magic, and like we saw, 
I think they'll do a good job, like with EDH. So if they do this push on creatures, on uh, planeswalkers, while some decisions we might not understand or might not like by our own personal style, but I, I completely trust them. And I think more than any uh, other, our players, fans, followers, their passion, their commitment to it, you know, I think they, they really know they put, uh, well, their lives, uh, their professional lives doing magic better. Got it. So let's trace back a bit of your magic history. You had already talked about how one of your, some of your favorite decks had no, no creatures, but let's go farther back than that. I would like you to tell me when you first experienced Magic the Gathering. Like, how did you learn the game? How did you find out about the game? Let's start there. From the beginning, one of my cousins, he bought some, some starters, some, some Magic cards, and he needed an opponent. So he kind of forced me to learn the game so I can play against him. Just now you mentioned uh, that I was a, a blue player, perhaps, and uh, maybe we can my, uh, trace it back to my cousin. Because he bought the magic cards and he needed an opponent and he had already some decks built. He had like a black deck, a red deck. Then he gave me the blue and the white cards and say, build a deck. So hey, from the beginning, I didn't have a choice. He, al he already gave me the blue and white. He called it first, he took black and red. And that's how it started. How old were you when you first tried the cards or played the cards? I would say 15, 15, 16. Around that time, I know. Yeah. No, uh, sorry, we, we we were getting too much, too much ahead. Hey, uh, I'm okay with any speed. It's <laughs> everything's good. No, no, I was going to say that for my first pro tour, um, I was still not 18, so my parents had to sign like uh, uh, permission for traveling or for uh, to present at the airport at the immigration and borders. So it was easier after I got um, uh, adult, uh, that's not the word, um, emancipation of 18, because it was easier for me to travel. But yeah, I, uh, my first contact with Magic Card, so high school, 15, 16. Around what era of Magic was that? I, I know it's hard for people to remember exactly the year, but Magic players seem to have a good memory of like the set or the block. Like how did, around what time did you start playing casually with your cousin? It's not easy to, to remember. I know uh, my deck had a, a Prodigal Sorcerer in it, but Prodigal Sorcerer uh, is from the, the core set. So that could be, any any time, yeah, yeah. Uh, some of my first 
tournaments or the Urza Saga uh, pre-release or the sixth edition pre-release. So I would say around that time. So before Saga, maybe it was a Tempest block. Okay. I I remember. I remember uh, there were cards there from the Mirage block, even from Ice Age, because the the art was very distinct mm -hmm. from uh, the Ice Age art as of a very distinct. Uh, uh, setting totally different from uh, Mirage and then Tempest even even more distinct. So I remember we had cards from those blocks. That was a critical time in Magic's history. I mean, it was still quite young. And this also means that we're probably around the same age because I also remember those sets when I was around your age, like 15 or 16. So that is that is pretty cool. But my next question is, how did you start going from playing with your cousin to playing tournaments and playing GPs and eventually qualifying for larger pro tour events and things like that? How did you start playing competitively? What, what, was, the, what was the drive or was there some event or events? Well, even, even though my cousin forced me into the game, but he disappeared from the game. Uh, soon after, so I just got a bunch of magic cards and no one to, to play with. And instead of me with the cards trying to force another cousin to play, I just went out and uh, found another players. Um, so I guess uh, local game stores or tournaments, what other better place to, to find players. And it just, it just uh, rolled uh, some stuff into, into another, like going to, going to pre-releases. Yeah, the, those pre-releases, uh, sixth editions, there was a saga, destiny. Um, I think I did well in all of them. So I started being uh, invited for more magic related stuff. Uh, then we start traveling to nearby cities, and just one thing led to just like led to another. So success came time, to you quite quite early. Like you were already winning local events very early on. It sounds like yes, yes, success, success uh, came uh, early, and um, you realize that you enjoyed uh, playing with other players and with other other good players going to other other local game stores going to other cities even hey driving to to spain to another country meet other players see what what they're playing it was different because there there was no no internet where you know everything you know all the players all the cards all all, all the decks Back then, you could feel that you are uh, you are a good player, like your friends are good players. But hey, eh, anywhere in the unknown world, there are better players for sure, different players, maybe different different uh, different decks. So 
And it, you, you, always, you always want to play against the, 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 the best players. So it's natural that you, you try to qualify for, for pro tours. Or even before that, you try to go to larger events like, the, like Grand Prix. So why would you say that? I agree with it, but I, I want to understand where your reasoning is coming from. So always wanting to play against the best players. Like, what, what was your motivation for playing Magic during those days? I, I, would, I guess I would call it the early days when you were traveling. Was it, to, was it the adventure or was it the challenge or was it a combination of things? I, I, I enjoyed playing. I enjoyed playing just like um, any other uh, hobby that you learn, that you start and you enjoy. So you continue doing it. Right now in Shanghai, me uh, and my friends, recently we start playing uh, Adele, which is kind of like uh, tennis, but with the, with the glass wall. And uh, Padel, it, it's kind of like tennis, but you play it with, uh, in the pair, so doubles. And there's a glass wall. The ball can bounce against the, the glass wall and continue playing. So we start playing it out of uh, uh, curiosity. Some friend recommended. And everyone enjoyed it. So everyone continues playing more and more. And some of my, uh, of my friends are already taking padel classes. They are paying to have classes so they can enjoy playing it better. And some of them, they are already joining the male competition, the female competition here in Shanghai. So I guess it, it's it's normal. Like we, they didn't start playing padel because oh, there's a padel competition uh, here in Shanghai. But you just try it as a new hobby, as a new game. You enjoy playing it. You enjoy the the the, the free time doing it with your friends. And then one thing leads to another. Oh, we enjoy playing this. We want to play better. So. Why not learn? We check some videos, read some uh, about it, how to, how to swing the ball, how to position yourself. Why not play against other players? We already played so much between us. Why not go to some competition, meet some other players, meet some other persons? The same, the same with Magic. You start, you love the game, you enjoy everything about it, which you want to do it more. And if you want to do it more, you want to do it correctly. So you want to play while, while how you enjoy it, but also strategically correct. Um, and then you want to meet other, other players and play against others. And eventually you are going to bigger and bigger tournaments. You look for them. If you are doing, if you are doing better, you keep looking for, for the, the challenges and the tournaments. It's an interesting example you use because Padel is actually, I've not played it, but one of my business school classmates is crazy about the game. I think he's actually, I think he actually knows the, the, the people who, he's part of the community and he knows the people that started the courts and building some new courts in Shanghai. And yeah, he yeah, gave us a... So we probably already met him. Yeah, I guess maybe you've, met, maybe, met maybe you've already met Patricio. He's a lawyer, uh, and he showed me the court that was in uh, Taiku Hui, right? Because they had they had a court set up there. But uh, as I understand yeah, that's it, the first one. It's the first one. 
as I understand it, there are more and more courts, and uh, the game seems to be all of a sudden becoming more popular. And uh, uh, so I, I know a little bit of what you're talking about. I also have the same feeling. It's like when you get into an activity, you want to figure out everything about it. Strategically was a word you used. And then you find out there's Maybe a Fidel. Maybe it was a strong word strategically. But... Yeah. And then you find out there's it's a Fidel league. There's a tournament. And then you you get into that. And then um, yeah, one thing leads to another, right? Yeah, you don't, you don't plan. You don't plan for it. But so, just like with Magic and my cousin and some of the uh, other players, some of them, at some point, they stop. They say, okay, this is the level we're comfortable playing with. We don't want to, to play Magic or Padel that way while others want. So some of them, they just continue playing friendly between their friends. Others want to, to try so I, I'm really curious about this point because you've obviously tried to reach and you had reached the highest level of competition in magic. So obviously you had a very strong drive to continue improving in the game, unlike that of your friends who may have stopped at a certain level, which is honestly pretty natural. You had also told me in our chats before that you're not the most competitive person or you had not been so into something before magic. So if you were to look back on all this, the question is, how do you think you became so driven or competitive in magic? Is that something you can explain looking back on it? Maybe it's just magic. It's such a fantastic game that you want to keep exploring it, uh, enjoying it, but I don't have uh, an explanation why I pursued. I just kept playing. That's a very good endorsement of Magic the Gathering, by the way. I, I like it. I like it. Okay, now l- let, me, let me look at it from, uh, from another uh, perspective. Before, I had um, some uh, motivation. Uh, it was difficult to find something that motivated you at 15. I was, I was a good student, but um, not always motivated. And uh, magic gives you the motivation to playing at the at that time i don't know help, help me help me a little though uh, what's uh... what was your motivation to get to the highest level of magic play like to get to the pro tour were you especially driven by something about yourself or otherwise no it goes it goes uh, step step by step you always wanted to to go to the next uh to the next big tournament so after pre-releases and uh, and uh, local game store constructed tournaments you hear about hey there's going to be a bigger tournament uh, it's, uh, it's like a regional level that qualifies it for something so it's going to be bigger in attendance uh, it's, and uh, I thought wow shit, it's going to be a cool experience playing in a bigger tournament for bigger prizes with the uh, 
different players than we used to every week. And then I went to these regionals and I, I qualified for nationals. So that's the next step. Well, we're now we're, we are going to even a bigger tournament with more players, with more, uh, with more prizes. Then I went to my first nationals and I top four uh, nationals. So now uh, I'm going to the European Championship and the World Championship. And if you, if you reach at that point, then you, you are curious. Hey, can I, can I still do it? Can I continue to do it again? So naturally, after that, you are playing your uh, you are playing PTQs because now you you now you know you were into contact with another another magic uh, uh, scene which is not only the uh, local and national but also international so naturally you try to go to PTQs so you can travel outside play the play magic outside it also happened that right after that, that summer, nationals, European, worlds, there was a Grand Prix. There was a Grand Prix in Portugal where uh, I almost top eighted. In the last two rounds, I needed a, a win to top eight. And at that point, with the Grand Prix in Portugal, I really wanted to top eight it. And uh, second to last round, I unintentionally drew with uh, David Williams. Uh, last round, uh, I got paired against Antoine Ruel. Uh, he was already in the top eight. He didn't. He didn't concede it. Why should he? He didn't knew me. He didn't knew me from anywhere. Uh, yeah. And at that point, I I said, hey, I would like to correct. I would like to correct uh, what happened here. I think I can do it. And yeah, I owe to myself a good result. So you did it? In a certain way. In a certain way, yes. Are you able to look back on all of those accomplishments and figure out what made you successful at that high level of play versus some other player that didn't, didn't make it? I know this is a very tough question because, you know, obviously we're all very biased looking at ourselves, right? And also with a lot of time that has passed. But for every one Tiago Chan, there's hundreds and thousands of people that didn't make it, didn't win the GP, didn't quite reach that level. Can you attribute your success to any particular factors? My own success, uh, not, 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 on, not only my own success, I think the, whether you will succeed or not uh, in, in magic, in, in, many, in many fields, in many areas, it's a combination of, uh, of uh, elements, like of three elements. I would... I would uh, say it's a combination of three elements in no order of importance. I'll start with uh, natural talent or 
natural talent, it's a little unfair way of uh, describing it. But each person is different. Each person is born with different uh, personality, with different uh, traits, with different... Uh, well, each person, each person is, is unique. And some are more... Uh, I don't want to use such unfair words, but some might be more talented. So one, one, one of the elements is, yeah, let, let's just call it, let's just call it talent. Another one, it's the hardworking or commitment. You can be, you can be very talented, but if you don't, if you don't use it, if you don't uh, maximize it, if you don't develop it, then you are maybe wasting, wasting it. And I think in sports, you, you hear this a lot, like, well, that player has the most natural talent for the game, but he's just not using it to its uh, full capability, while some other player, wow, he's not the most talented player for, for the game, but hey, he works so hard, he does tactically, he, he studies it, he does everything correctly, and it's two different kind of players, but they both play the game to similar levels of success. So you have these two elements, which can also relate to magic. If, if you are a natural, if magic comes, comes easy to you, and I knew some players for which magic just was just so easy, so easy for them, like the way they look and they see things that even for me was difficult to see. Even when I was at the top of my magic abilities, where my where my brain where my brain uh, think faster, it was trained because I think about magic all the time, and I would look at things that they saw, and it's like wow, it's like I have only half of their uh, of their eyes. And then there's players who really, really uh, work hard and work correctly. They test correctly, they analyze correctly, they predict things correctly. And then there's a combination of both. So this has a big influence. But the third, the third element, which is luck, luck or opportunity or chance it can really make the difference between the players who are similar like other players who didn't make it like at some key moment an unfortunate game that they lose that didn't make them advance and then that player might not continue or might not have the motivation um, sometimes you are invited to a tournament or to a draft where you meet other players there's this uh, opportunities. Not everyone will have the same opportunities or key key elements happening. So, so many many players are talented. They are working hard, but sometimes 
their opportunity never never came. So it's a, I would say it's a combination of these of these three elements. So for you, you had all three, right? You had opportunity. I'm sure there were some lucky breaks. So that's element number three. You said that for element number one, which is the natural talent, you may not be the most naturally talented player ever, but you must have worked extremely hard then, right? Because if I extrapolate what you said, like elements one, two, three, you must have had a combination of them. So would you say that that's fair? Like you you were one of the, the more hardworking players? While it is difficult for me to uh, analyze uh, how much naturally talented I was and uh, because I was always surrounded with uh, good players and many times players better than me. I never felt I was especially talented, but in terms of uh, uh, working, uh, committing, testing, I think uh, I did it okay. I think uh, I always give my best and that's something that I don't have. Uh, I don't. I don't regret. Like um, for that procher, that procher, I could have. I could have tested more for that procher. I could have uh, built that deck, and I didn't. No, that that that's not a regret that I have. I think I I did what I could. Looking back, what who are some of the players that had the most? profound impact on you in any way as a partner as a competitor just just some names just give me some names the players around me it's uh, one of the reasons that kept my uh, my passion my uh, my joy of playing it so i really have to start with my friends in portugal which we spent many hours together not only playing magic but uh just hanging out during weekends uh, before and after tournaments uh, uh watching movies drafting playing football playing other games and i'm uh, i'm really happy that almost all of them managed to get uh success which, uh, well, it was it was uh, it was uh, fair because we played a lot together. So it's good that they also had uh, their own success. We already talked about uh, Gonzalo Pinto. It's a uh, he's a great guy. So uh, in the players that uh, I usually play with in Portugal. Frederico Bastos, he was the, the first player to ever top eight approacher, and I was there with him in Tokyo. For every team event, Team Limited, to have a giant uh, team approachers, team GPs, local team tournaments, whenever it's possible, I have teamed with uh, Frederico, Frederico Bastos. He's the, he's the guy. When, when I went to China, all my card collection uh, was in my mother's house. And I told my mom, 
if Federico comes, just let him in and take whatever he wants. He probably took some thousands of some thousands of dollars from me, but hey, yeah. I, I'm sure I'm sure he didn't sell them. I'm sure during these years where I was not playing, it was really he really used them. He 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 also has a very unique uh, love for this game. He played it before me. He continued playing it. So yeah, Frederico. Then Marcio, Marcio Carvalho is a very very successful player. Um, still doing it today. I I would say he's still dominating Magic today, right? I I don't know if you follow the news, I, but I, he's still doing well in the world of magic today has he won has he won worlds 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 i think I mean, he went second place at worlds at i mean twice? second place at worlds is huge like i i guess for you guys like it, you have to win to be significant but i i just see his name all the time and i think he's a very special player a very accomplished player as well so i met him very 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 young and i don't i didn't even met him through magic we had some mutual friends that uh, we played uh, football or other other uh, whatever other uh, games uh, for fun uh, kids did, and uh, it was a coincidence that I found out that oh oh you also play magic, and uh, uh, at some point we had uh, some uh, motivation for going because. He was he he was very good. I was also I was also good. So we kind of like uh, competed, and uh, many of our, our other friends, which will be impossible to to name all of them, but we already we already already mentioned one, which was the the one who wrote the EDH article that. Uh, introduced EDH for non-EDH players. It's Gonzalo Pinto. Gonzalo Pinto is also a very good friend. He played against Marcio in that in the top four of that pro tour. And yeah, Gonzalo is also a very special, special person. His success came much later than to the rest of us, but uh, I'm really happy that it arrived, that he was not, like we talked about it, a player that success or opportunity never arrived. I'm happy it did for him because he's a player with a lot of uh, heart. Just a, a really good friend by the way you described it. Like for for the two of you, it's not it's not just magic, right? No, it's no, no. Like... It's not. The, the, these persons are very are very unique, very interesting. And uh, I'll be happy if, uh, if, if for the rest of my life I can continue uh, interacting, meeting them, talking with them. But yeah. So for, for other uh, uh, Magic players who had an influence, I cannot talk about uh, all of the Magic players in Portugal that I that I uh, uh, enjoy or like to be around because there's just so many. Our 
favorite tournament in Portugal is Portuguese nationals because you get to see everyone in the same room. No one, no one is, wants to miss Portuguese nationals. But going ahead and about other magic players that you might, you might have heard about, there was a player that had a big influence in my in the way that I see magic, that I saw magic, which is Kai Buddha. Back when I, when I was uh, PTQing and qualifying for approachers by winning PTQs, Kai was winning approachers faster than I would qualify for them. Uh, for me and uh, for some friends around me, for some other players in the country, they were like, wow, you are really qualifying a lot for the pro tour. Is that your second pro tour this season? Your third pro tour? And yeah, and I went to pro tours and each pro tour I, I attended, it's like Kai was winning it. So he was winning pro tours at the same speed I was qualifying for them. I remember I was in uh, Barcelona. That was like my third or fourth pro tour. It's like, wow, Kai won this one, third pro tour. I was at New Orleans, my like fifth procher and for kites fifth procher win so i watched i watched lots of uh, lots of games uh, with kai lots of games kai played i didn't get to to meet him because when i started being uh, more success successful and a more regular presence on the procher uh, he already quit I did play it once against him. Usually I would be excited about it, but the only time that I got paired against Kai was in the last Swiss round of Grand Prix Lisbon, which it was winning in for top eight. Well, since I'm playing against Kai, you can probably guess yeah, he won. And once again, I didn't top eight at that GP in Portugal. And since it was Kai, he won that GP. How, how would you describe Kai's dominance during that era? I never, I never met Kai or interacted with him, other than, other than that those fifty minutes where I played uh, against him. So. Most of the things that that I heard about Kai were precisely that they were told they were told to me by others. Um, they told me that Kai also play tested. They told me that Kai was uh, focused, and I think Kai's dominance also at that time it was also good to promoting professional play by having a player showing everyone else that this is a game that can be played this much successfully. So yeah, if I had um, a magic player that I, I really impressed me, it, 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 it was Kai. John, John Finkel, John Finkel too, 
but uh, since Kai was European, it was much easier for him, for me, to watch him play live. And uh, during those years, Kai was also putting more impressive results. Kai was also an invitational winner, so he also got to design his own magic card. It's a Void Mage, Void Mage Prodigy. And it's the only invitational card that I got it signed. I got one Void Mage Prodigy signed by Kai, and it's the only invitational card I asked, uh, that I wanted to, to have, keep, and have it signed by Kai, because he, he really impressed me when I was, uh, before I was a, a pro Magic player. Many people described Kai as being, uh, looking like a cold, distant, intimidating opponent, but when, when he was not playing against, against you, in front of you, some people would also describe him as a little uh, distant to, to the outside. Or maybe some people would just say, maybe he just didn't care. Many people told me that uh, Kai was in the, in the middle of, of the Pro Tour rounds. And I can imagine lots of players walking up to Kai, wanting to talk to him, ask him, how are you doing? Can you sign this card for me? So are you going, are you going to win this Pro Tour? It's probably one of everyone probably asked him that. And he would just say, no or just give a short, brief answers. But I really wanted to have my Void Mage Prodigy signed, but I was afraid Kai wouldn't do it. So what I did, I took my Void Mage Prodigy with me to the Pro Tour or to the tournament, and I went to the feeder match area, and I asked the, the coverage guy, hey, when Kai, shows up, when, guy, when Kai shows up here, can you ask him to sign this? Because, yeah, of course, Kai is, gonna, is going to be in the feeder match area for the Pro Tour. How come? How come there's going to be a whole tournament where Kai is not going to be here? So I just told the coverage, the coverage uh, reporter, hey, when Kai shows up, can you please tell him to sign? And this, uh, the, the coverage reporter was a little confused. Why? Why cannot you do it yourself? <laughs> and I said, you know, if I do it, Kai, Kai might say no. And, and uh, he said, okay, okay, you might have a point there. But then he said, you know that he will probably say no to me as well. And I said, hey, at least you're in a, just, just try to get him in the mood, try to see after he wins. I don't know how he got it, but at the end of the day, I, w I went there and I collected my signed Void Mage Prodigy. That was so many years before, but uh, I don't know if it affects affected or not. But hey, I never, I never left a request for signing Snapcaster Mages going unanswered. I know even uh, sometimes I had like a heartbreaking loss, and I just wanted to throw away my deck at someone and uh, I, and I, I feel I feel that there are persons behind me watching the game 
that with Snapcaster mages. <laughs> so, no, no, yeah, of course, that's just, which, which is good. I think in Portugal, in Portugal, everyone has their Snapcaster mages signed, at least those who want them. Actually, in Portugal, everyone or most of the players know me for such a long time that they don't want, they don't need to have a Snapcaster mage signed. Because, well, they know me. They have they have more personal memories, uh, items from our times. That That's just, hey, you don't need to ask a friend to, to sign that. But when I went to, to tournaments in other countries, yeah, I... I, I felt that uh, people wanted to have Snapcaster Mage signed and no, no, no one needed to be afraid that I would be in a bad mood and say no. But good to know. like I said, hey, I, ne I never met, I never met Kai. I never met Kai. But he was a big influence, not influence, but uh, I, I watched uh, a lot of uh, of Kai, and if it were if it were not for Snapcaster Mage, uh, he I'm, I probably uh, wouldn't wouldn't uh, even know even know me. So, did you know that Kai is still doing well in the world of Magic today? Like he still plays the Mythic Championships. He still plays the arena events at the highest level. And from what I've seen of the coverage, he's still doing quite well, even in the modern day magic. I felt that uh, in the timeline, uh, my active uh, career, at least at, at the highest level, was never at the same time with, with, with Kai. Um, the only time we played in that Grand Prix uh, it was a Grand Prix in my hometown. And then Kai gradually uh, stopped playing. That's when I started rising. And then when Kai came back to the, to the game again, I was already not playing. So that's why, that's why I said I never, I never met him. I never get to talk to him uh, other than those, those, those 50 minutes. About uh, magic personalities, there is one magic personality that I didn't realize it at the time, but I always read his articles. But I was uh, looking at magic from a very strategic point of view on how to win that at that time I didn't realize it, but it was the magic writer that I followed, that I read, that I still try to follow the longest. It's the, the magic personality that I admire the most. It's Mark Rosewater. What Mark did for, for magic, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know uh, in, in the last years what 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 did he do? What if he still continues doing it? But um, I think he he was very very important to making sure that magic continues 
being the best possible the, w- the way he talks the way he sees magic the way he communicates with uh, with players with his audience his passion I, I really admire I really ad- admire him I got, I got the chance to talk to him uh, in person uh, mostly because I, I got the chance to be to be close to him but Mark Rosewater sometimes I, I, I read some some of the things that he wrote and hey I want to write back to him just from the perspective of a of a of a magic fan I want to let him know how I read how did it meant how I how it touched me the way the way he wrote and hey I don't even I I don't I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to sign I don't want to sign I I just want to as a anonymous magic fan and I'm sure I'm sure Mark will read it Mark will read it and Mark will take it in 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 in, in consideration so that's what I think the the relationship uh, that very special that Mark has with with magic and that is something that I will do it again in the future I will read something from Mark Rosewater and I say wow this was amazing even even for some aspects in life reading uh, some some stuff that Mark writes and I'm, I'm sure I will write him again like the infinite messages that he gets and I hope that this is a good, uh, a good lead into the next question, which is, how do you see your relationship with magic going forward? Going forward means I was going to make a. a no, I'm, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Going forward is the is the opposite of going back, of course. Which means that the relationship with magic will never be what it was before. Going forward, I don't have the time, the attention, the energy to follow magic. Just too many cards being released. You always have to stay in touch somehow. But I, I would say it just all depends on, the, on your surroundings. If people around me are into it, I will probably be into it. Coming uh, here into this podcast actually made me think about magic more than uh, I did it in the last uh, many many years. So yeah, maybe maybe I should maybe I should start my own my own my own podcast, and then I will have magic every week, every month in my life. And I know some some people who 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 care more they try to to keep me more active but uh, it's not easy for the these two factors uh, i mentioned before which is uh being in china and uh, being focused on my work so one day when i when i go back to portugal or or maybe 
maybe I just need to to find uh, another way of playing Magic, which is not going to uh, tournaments. Hey, maybe I can play. Uh, maybe I can play EDH. I, I I was very I was very into uh, it, trying uh, giving a, ch a chance to EDH after I read the that article. I played EDH before with other person's deck, but after I read that article, I actually thought about building my own EDH deck. Unfortunately, all my cards were in Portugal, so no, I I haven't even that possibility. But yeah, it's such a, it's it was a big part uh, of my past life that, and using your words, it's suspended it's temporarily away at some point might might come might come back but if you were invited here uh, at home or if anyone is invited here there is no trace uh, of magic there's in in your home that is right now no trace right right, right now Oh, I, I might, I might have some, I might have some uh, magic cards that I use uh, for page page markers for reading. Book, bookmark, yeah, yeah. Bookmarks. I, I use them. I use them as bookmarks. I don't know. I all, I always had that that habit with all the traveling, with all the traveling to events. Usually, we had books with us. Just seemed natural to have use magic cards as as bookmarks. If you look carefully around the house, I I have a deck box. I have a deck box, like a 75 cards deck box with some sleeves and tokens for the occasional draft, but that's it. Well, that's the beautiful thing about magic is that the game will never die. It will always be there. You can always come back to it in the future. As you said, when circumstances are different, when you're back in Portugal or somewhere with your friends that it makes sense to do so so that is the beauty of the game i think it's always going to be there so and people don't really quit magic it just it's just a phase and then they go back to it at some point yeah I, i've heard i've heard that a lot but uh there's all, all, all also i i know i know some players who who quit who, who, who really quit, who quit. yeah uh, even, even, but even if I uh, go back, and I don't know if the competition, the competition, it's a little confusing uh, for me, for me, which I haven't followed. So it's, it's a little confused. Like, uh, how do you qualify? How do you? That's that's okay. Wh it's confusing you... for all of us, even those of us who follow it. It's it's still confusing. So, yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. I, 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 I sense that. No, no, there's actually no, nothing I, I, I need to correct you on. It's like, it is confusing for everybody. Like, how do, there is no more pro tour. How do I get back? Why would it be confusing? Why would it be confusing for everyone? Because I think it's confusing for me because I don't follow. No, no, I mean, even for those okay. of us who try to follow, organized play is not, they're, they're trying to restructure the system again. And so even now, like as of today, uh, what's today? November 2021 it's not clear what you have to do to get on the pro tour and the pro tour no longer exists. And it, it's in this sort of uh, 
in between where they try to, they're trying to figure out what is the next uh, organized play structure. Because uh, there was a summer where I, where I was playing, uh, I wouldn't say competitive, but there was a summer where I was playing Grand Prix and trying to call, trying to qualify, not because I wanted to go. I knew that I would probably wouldn't go, but I wanted to qualify because it was the, the challenge. Like, hey, I'm here, I'm back. What are the tournaments? What are the challenges? Guys, what are you testing for? What are you wanting? What do you guys want to do? And they said, well, right now there's this WMCQ, which is something that all players are trying to win. I said, okay, I'm going to try to win that or qualify for that. Which, okay, so from uh, that sense, there are events like that. So we may not know exactly what you get in the end, but yes, there are, there are like arena online qualifiers for something. And I recall hearing people say like, I don't know exactly what I'm going to qualify for, but that seems to be the highest level of competition. So let's try to try to win it. So that, that does exist too. Oh, okay, there are, there are paths. It's just the end of the path is not yet uh, clear. Is that it? Yes, that's it. Well, uh, during my time here in China, they had something called the uh, PPTQs and the uh, regional PTQs. That has also gone I away, won, I believe, or it's changed. Yeah. I won some of those by accident, but I didn't really... It was pointed out to me that that was the path to competition, the the PPTQ and the, the regional PTQ. The regional PTQ was outside of Shanghai. Well, the PPTQ, they had it here in Shanghai. Yeah, one of my friends, he had a a local game store in Shanghai and uh, his store was one of the biggest in Shanghai or one of the most modern, newest when he opened. Uh, at some point he changed the location and uh, I woke up one Saturday to his phone call saying, hey, I'm opening my new store today. I said, hey, congratulations. Uh, maybe I'll do Drop by and said, "Would you like to come now? I'm going to make the the first tournament of the new store. It's like a special opening." And I said, "Okay." He said, "It's a sealed deck. Just come and show up." So I showed up, and it was a sealed deck. So yeah, I just played the sealed deck. And then when I finished, when I finished the sealed deck, hey, good, uh, nice playing, nice store. Good. I'll be back uh, next month or next year. He said, no, 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 no. You have to stay now for the booster draft. And I said, uh, it's, his name is Shao, Shao Wang. And I said, Shao, uh, I don't want to draft. I want to go home. No, no, no. You have to draft. Uh, this tournament has the top eight in booster draft. And I told him, just split the 24 packs by the eight players. No one wants to draft. Everyone wants to go home. No, 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 no. The other seven guys, it's already settled. You have to draft. And... I sit down at the table. Every, everyone, everyone was making fun of me. Because for the seal deck, yeah, I just, I just read my own cards and I just built my own deck and I knew what my cards did because it's seal deck. But in Booster Draft, I had to ask for that pre-release kit. There's like a book with all the, with all the cards and, and, the, and the images because I didn't know what the cards did. So they passed me. 
a new, a new pack, see the pack, read the book, and okay, I draft this one pass. And okay, so I I built my deck. Yeah, let's just play booster draft for Shao. Yeah, he's just insisting. So I uh, I win the first two rounds, and then my opponent in the last round of draft, he was like split. What? Uh, what? What? Split? Split? And this and like. Well, communication was not so so fluid, and like, no, I, I don't want to split. I don't. I don't want anything. It's just. Well, let's, so we played, and I won. Later, I found out it was a PPTQ that qualified you for something in the, uh, outside of Shanghai, which I was not going for sure. So okay. if I knew it, I would just concede it to the other guy. So that's I why you said would, accidentally. Okay, I I get it now. Yeah, I, I I feel bad that I'm not sure if the if the other guy wanted or not, but uh, he probably he probably didn't want to. He probably didn't want to. Probably he was just saying, let's just split the packs, and because he didn't want it to go. But yeah, probably. Yeah. But yeah. maybe I maybe I I ruined the opportunity. Like we said before, hey, maybe he was a talented guy who worked hard, but his opportunity didn't. I know, I know, because I have a photo that that they took of me after I won the tournament, which they say, can you hold the the pre-release book and say that you drafted with this? And I said, yeah, okay. It was reasonably recently. The set was um, Ixalan. Is that yeah. a yeah? Is that That's a set? set? Yeah, Ixalan. Yeah. That was pretty recent, a few years ago. Uh, my top eight deck was uh, blue green Merfolk. Is that the set? Yes. Blue green Merfolk. There are definitely Merfolk in the set. So that sounds correct. So, and I felt it, it was quite powerful, the, the Merfolk in that set. Probably I didn't draft because, the set, but it, it, it that's what I I remember oh, maybe hearing something some, about that. So, yeah, maybe because I I didn't felt I didn't felt I was playing much magic or that I was even playing well. It's just I just started uh, drafting Merfolks and the games were absolutely not even close <laughs> by turn four by turn four. Everyone was just conceding to uh, just uh -huh. play Merfolk, play Merfolk, play something, turn four. And I, I didn't felt like I was, oh, I am I'm such a, a good player. No, I was like, oh, it seems that this set is heavily uh, tribal or whatever uh, mechanic. Tiago, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, I can, I can definitely sense that some of your magic memories are coming back in real time as we're having a conversation. So I really, really appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me and I hope you have a great rest of the, the day and the rest of the week. Okay. Best of success to you and your podcast too, James. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans and Magic. 
To get other episodes or to get details on the Humans of Magic book, please visit humansofmagic.com. That's humansofmagic.com. We have all the past archive episodes. You can also find and subscribe to Humans of Magic on SoundCloud, Spotify, and all the places you find podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.